You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And hey, everyone out there, how the heck is your week going? I mean, like, really? Because you know how this goes. You know, you have last week where we all have a day off in the middle. And we kind of get used to having a short week. And then you thrust yourself head first into another full five-day week. For me, it's a little off-putting. But you know what? I'm going to stop complaining, and I'm going to push forward. So I want to tell you guys the story as we start off the show. We'd had him on the show, this is a couple weeks back, Christopher Maloney, that was doing a, he was doing a documentary called In God We Trump. Um, it was a really interesting talk about this documentary that he's pushing forward and, and the whole idea behind the documentary is simply how did Protestant evangelical Christianity wholeheartedly embrace Trump and what was gained, what was lost through the whole process. And the cool thing that happened after our conversation, uh, Christopher messaged me and he was, when we had talked to him last, he was raising money through a Kickstarter campaign to be able to really just fund him making this documentary. And after our show, after we had him on the air, he actually met what he was trying to raise on Kickstarter. And he messaged me saying, hey, dude, I'm going to be traveling around the country interviewing people. Would you be willing to be on? And I said, but of course, but of course I will. Because, hey, you know, I, I love the sentiment, and I, and I figured that that the whole thrust of his documentary was well within the realm of snarky faithness that was happening. And this last week, Christopher came into town. I hung out with him for several hours. We did a bunch of recordings, and I'm just going to go ahead and just push this out there. I think this will be a very interesting documentary. I mean, if simply put... The documentary is simply only me talking for an hour and a half with Christopher. I think it's worth your while. And of course, I'm being sarcastic and joking about that. But no, no, I, I did. I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Christopher um, and the questions he was asking and what we talked about and the nature of this documentary. And, and I do. I, I think that this is a very this is a very timely thing, because I think as Christians, we need to be questioning what the hell is going on with Christianity in America? And if you've been listening to the show for any period of time, you know that we do this on a weekly basis. You know that we kind of delve into this and dig into this. And, and some of the questions that Christopher was asking me, it just really made me think a lot deeper into the overall, uh, the architecture of the problem that we are facing right now, whereas Christianity has been taken over. It's been hijacked by those that seek power, whether it be religious power or political power. 
And ultimately, at the end of the day, that product looks like some sort of incestual love child that you would find in Appalachia. Um, yes, it has the telltale low earmarks. And when I was reading some articles someone else had sent me recently, uh, there was actually some weird incestual families that were in Appalachia that because of their weird genetic breeding, they were all blue. Now, I, I have a feeling right now when we're looking at America and the weird incest, incestual thing that is going on between Christianity and political power, it's not necessarily looking blue. It's looking very red right now. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to do a deep dive into this very idea. And what we will do, you know, because if you've ever been to your neighborhood pool, as you begin to step in, they have the shallow area for the little kids, and then it gets moderately deep, and then it gets very deep. And, and I want to kind of take that posture as we begin to talk through some of the stuff that is going on with American politics and American Christianity. So if we want to just hop into this, just kind of get our toes wet with this subject, um, the best place to start is talking about one of my favorite, I would say, targets maybe? Maybe targets is is not something because that that would mean that I have a vendetta against him, but it's he he's he's one of my favorite folks to go after because I feel like the hypocrisy runs very deep with this dude. He ends up being someone that is part of a family lineage of evangelical Christianity, and in all like if you look across how everything is, you 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 would want to be able to say. This guy should be totally dialed into the pulse on America. Uh, but when you take his pulse, you begin to realize he is nowhere near the pulse of where evangelical Christianity should be. Yes, that dude, if you've guessed it, you'll win a prize. I'm really not sure what that prize should be. But if you are hearing this and listening to it, you know what you should do? You should actually message us at questions at snarkyfaith.com. And guess what? First one to send me something, I will send a prize. I will legitimately send you a prize if you guessed it right. And guess what? We're on the honor system here because if you hear that I'm saying right now Franklin Graham, you can go ahead and win. And maybe you didn't guess it correctly the first time and you were going to go ahead and still send in that email and still say that you had guessed it. Well, you know what, buddy? or ma'am, or person. That's really just on your soul. Because I'm totally fine with sending a prize to somebody that, what would you say, someone that kind of just weaseled their way into this contest. I'm fine with weasels and people hopping into contests. Yes, I'm totally fine with that. So either way, if you guessed Franklin Graham, or if you didn't, but now you're guessing Franklin Graham because I already said Franklin Graham, Guess what? First person to send me an email at questions at snarkyfaith.com gets a prize. And this isn't going to be some sort of a crappy prize. It'll be a prize prize. Whatever that means to you. And if you are a listener to kind of our little snark nation here, uh, you're going to have to trust me on that one. But I will make it happen. And I will send you something prize worthy in the mail very soon. So you need to email me 
Tell me the answer to the question that I just answered, which hint, hint, is Franklin Graham. And then also just send me your address, and I will send you a magical prize in the midst of all of that. Yes. So one way you can feel good about yourself. You can say that I'm a legitimate winner or I am a unsanctimonious type winner, but either way, at the end of the day, you're a winner. You're a winner for me. So I'm okay with that. Just know that. I'm okay with you being underhanded when it comes to winning with snarky faith. Because guess what? Ultimately, I just love you guys. And any chance I get to send something or bless you or make you feel like you're amazing, hey, that that's a win in my book. So um, I want to take all the psychology out of that win. So yes, if you email me, Franklin Graham, and send me your address, you will get something amazing in the mail. Truth. I'm doing that, and I stand by that. So, uh, you're probably saying to yourself at this moment, hey, Stuart, freaking quit talking about this prize and get to Franklin Graham. Hey, guess what? Thanks, buddy. Thanks for being on top of that, because guess what? That's just what I'm going to do right now. So here we go. So, for those of you that keep up with the news, we just got through with the G20 summit with Trump going and meeting with a bunch of other world leaders over in Germany, and I believe also Poland as well. And in that time, you know, the biggest news stories were not necessarily the protests against nationalism, fascism, and Trumpism, and everything else that were happening there, which were still noteworthy, but really the main lead, the main story that was going on was Trump meeting with his man crush, Putin. Yes, this is the first time that they apparently publicly have met. I mean, we're not going to go ahead and count the times that he's like swiped right on, on Tinder, Grindr, whatever you want to call it. But no, yes, so Trump met with his Putini, his, his, his man crush, his man love that was going on. And I actually don't want to talk about that. But you know what I want to talk about? Like I'd mentioned earlier, Franklin Graham and Franklin Graham's bizarre love of Vladimir Putin. Now, for those of you that don't know, Franklin Graham is the son of Billy Graham. Billy Graham is probably the best known evangelist uh, in the modern era um, who has made a huge impact for Christianity across the world over the many, many, many years that he worked tirelessly to be able to spread the gospel around the world, right? So then we have his spawn, his seed, his whatever creation you want to call, Franklin Graham, who uh, up until recent years, recent could be like the past yeah, five years or so, um, has been kind of quietly this, this guy that ran this humanitarian organization called Samaritan's Purse. And Samaritan's Purse tries to be able to off, offer aid to third world countries that are uh, that are in need, which, you know, on the surface, you're like, dude, that's amazing. Like, I think it's great. You're following in your dad's footsteps. You are out there really trying to make a difference in this world. Hey, that sounds very Jesus-y of you. Awesome. Well, well, well. Then enters politics. And especially during, like, this whole last election cycle, we saw Franklin Graham go all in, man. Like, he wouldn't gamble, but if he did, he totally went all in on Trump. Like, seriously, push the chips to the center of the table. This dude is all in. And just, I mean, I mean, just all sorts of crazy lunacy 
um, that we've seen from the religious right. Yeah, Graham, Franklin Graham was the mouthpiece for that. But the one weird thing about that, because we've talked about Franklin Graham time and time again here on the show, and it's no, it's no surprise that we find him some sort of a crazy, uh, bigoted, uh, xenophobic, rageaholic that likes to say the words Jesus, but all of his actions and other words don't scream Jesus? Yeah, that Franklin Graham. Um, so, here's a post that happened right towards the end of last year. And we're going to start talking about, like, some of this, this conversation is going to sur- surround the evangelical Christian's love affair with Vladimir Putin. Now, we're not even talking about Trump and, like, you know, the the pea-stained beds over in Moscow and whatever else Putin has on Trump. I, I don't really even care. Um, but this is the weird evangelical love affair with Vladimir Putin of all people. And this is back December 30th of 2016. Facebook post by Franklin Graham goes like this. He says this in quotes, has Russian president Vladimir Putin been reading his Bible? Is he turning the other cheek? I don't know, but I find it interesting that he's not going to retaliate against President Obama, whose administration just ordered 35 Russian diplomats, (coughs) spies, to leave this country and two of their U.S. compounds to close. We don't even know if the hacking allegations are true or is this just more fake news. Actually, it was true. We need to pray for President-elect Donald Trump and Vice President Mike, uh, uh, Vice President-elect Mike Pence and his wife that he calls mother, um, as they will be inheriting a very difficult situation. I cannot overemphasize the need for prayer. Oh, um, our world is in a very precarious position, and all of our leaders need God's help. Okay, so if you're not used to this show and you're just tuning in, uh, the snark that was inserted into that, either by coughs or ridiculous voices, yeah, that's me adding that into this ridiculous statement by Franklin Graham. But let's go ahead and take a step back from this. Talking about Franklin Graham being a person that could be a good Samaritan in the midst of all of this. Oh my God. Why would anyone get behind this? butcher. Now, here's what I will compliment. And this is probably the only time I compliment Vladimir Putin. I think Vladimir Putin is a smart dude. I think he is a chess player, and I think Trump is a checkers player, and that's actually giving Trump a lot of of, of leeway in that. More likely, Trump is more of a hunger, hunger hippos player, where you just have to smash like the little dial over and over again to try to win. And yeah, yeah. And Putin has done many awful, disgusting, nasty things to the people in this country. I know that um, there's been instances where they have rounded up uh, homosexual men to kill them, and they just disappeared. Uh, Yes, women's rights, not so much in Russia. Um, Yes, the LGBTQ crowd, not so much having rights to be in Russia. Human rights in Russia, yeah, not so great either. But we have here at the end of last year, Franklin Graham quasi-praising Putin and praising him because he's sticking up for whatever warped view 
of American Protestant Christianity Franklin Graham believes in, the kind where sinners must die, and again, taking two steps back, um, where the righteous, quote-unquote righteous, which is, again, a sarcastic term that I'm using here, the quote-unquote righteous are able to go ahead and point out the people that they disagree with, the people they don't like, the people they think that they would call are quote-unquote sinners— and, you know, if you end up getting rid of them or demolishing those people or shaming them or whatever, it's really okay because the Bible tells us so. Actually, no, the Bible doesn't tell us so. I'm simply just being horribly droll and horribly sarcastic about this because this is ridiculous, that you would have a major evangelical leader stand behind Putin, who uh, A, has tried to hack our elections, B, has been quite the underhanded butcher as he has led Russia. Yeah, that guy. That this evangelical leader is holding up in some sort of a reverence because he feels like he is a hardline conservative badass and Putin, you know, he kicks ass, he takes names. And I think somehow, somewhere, Franklin Graham is getting a little chubby over this. He's like, man, I wish I could abuse people into believing my way of life and perspective. Yeah, I have no idea how an evangelical leader could lift up a known murderer of people. Yeah. Does that sound crazy to you? Because it sounds pretty effing crazy to me. So let me continue to dig in here with good old Franklin Graham. And this is coming from an article uh, in Salon where it's entitled, The Religious Right Has an Unholy Crush on Vladimir Putin. And they end up quoting him uh, in the midst of this article saying this, that evangelist Franklin Graham has hailed Putin as a hero for taking a stand to protect his nation's children from the damaging effects of any gay and lesbian agenda, even as, quote, America's own morality has fallen so far on this issue. Now, again, I'm still reading this quote here. Brian Fisher called Putin a lion of Christianity and called upon U.S. lawmakers to adopt similar speech prohibitions. Matt Barber mar marveled that Putin was able to out-Christian our once-Christian nation. Sam Rower set, called Putin the moral leader of the world. Scott Lively lavishly praised Putin for championing traditional marriage and Christian values. And Rush Limbaugh, well, of course, this is going to be good. Rush Limbaugh applauded Putin for stopping a, quote, full frontal assault on what has always been considered normalcy. Yeah, that is a thing. And, I, you know, the thing that, 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 that actually really begins to just boggle the mind about this whole issue, it, it just, it really does bother me. It, and, it, and it comes down to simply this. Um, let's just go, well, let's, let's take this from one side and then we'll kind of bring it back over here to the middle. So again, you know that the conservative Republicans essentially just hate anything that Barack Obama did. They hate anything that he put forward. And we've seen this over like the first, well, we're what, less than 200 days 
into Trump's presidency, if you can call it that, uh, which makes me feel weird even saying those two words together. But I will continue to just swallow my vomit down and, and move on. So yes, so we in our, in our less than 200 days of Trump being in office, we have seen this all-out assault from the conservative right on being able to destroy anything that they would declare as Obama's legacy. We must go ahead and turn it back. And then, hey, while we're at it, let's turn it back again to the 1950s. Now, what I want to say here is that the right's hate of Obama, I mean, let's let's talk about this. So I think that there's on one level you have the right's hate of Obama coming from the fact that, yes, he's not their party. Yes, we want to undo what the other party did just simply because they're the other party. What I'm also going to tell you is that there is some clear racism that we have seen that that really that that whole resurgence of white nationalism and white racism that has come up uh, since the primaries and thrust good old Trump into office, into the orange house, as we should probably call it now. Uh, what we have seen this, that they they were put into place by poor white folks who don't like people whose skin pigment is darker than theirs or something like that. Yeah. So it's not simply even about what Obama did. It's really about who Obama was. And as much as I hear conservatives harping on and bitching about day in, day out, oh, you guys are just, you liberals are guys that are just upset that Hillary didn't win. You keep bringing up the popular vote. You can't get over this. But honestly, I think ultimately that the right can't get over the fact that there was an African-American man as president. It kills them that there was a black man in office. And I don't want that component of this to underscore what we're talking about here with Franklin Graham. Because one of the root issues that we see with the religious right, the religious conservative right, is the fact that there is this underbelly that there is this muffin top of bigotry that runs through it and part of me wonders is half the reason they want to get rid of everything obama did simply because they want to whitewash politics and whitewash religion in america and i know that's a bold statement but it is so interesting when you begin to see people like franklin graham people that should be speaking at the public from a biblical standpoint and a nonpartisan standpoint, um, from something that has to do more with God's kingdom that he hopefully would be about moving forward, not his own power, not his own political gain in the midst of all of this, and helping to get white bigots into office that like to call themselves Christians who follow a man that was Middle Eastern. Yeah, none of it makes sense. But I'm going to tell you that a lot of this, a lot of Franklin Graham's rhetoric that he would say is biblical is actually very thinly veiled bigotry against people of other skin colors, of other countries, and other religions. And I think that is what we are seeing, especially with a lot of the boomer generation, which Franklin Graham is right in the midst of is the idea that we want to roll back things in America back to when we were a Christian nation. Uh, newsflash, we were really never a Christian nation. We were founded by a bunch of theists that 
believed that our nation uh, and they founded our nation on certain Christian principles and some values. But let's just be honest. If you want to go ahead and ask the Native Americans and ask all of those slaves that were brought over from Africa, did this feel very Jesus-y, your reception uh, on being in a colonized white America? I think they would probably tell you not so much. No, this doesn't feel like an American nation, especially when we're found on a manifest destiny and many other ideas, this idea that you can somehow just make what you want to make here and it doesn't matter who, who you step on in order to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of revisionist history that most of conservative Christian America is really obsessed with. We're obsessed with this idea that somehow back in the 1950s we were so very pure and almost Amish to a fault back then. Like we, we you know, nothing. We did not like the rock and roll music. We did not like the, the hippies and their free love and ideas of peace. We, we were not into any of those things. No, peace has never been a part of Christian America? I don't know. I know I'm rifting on this, but I do want to get into this bizarre idea that the religious right and centering on this because, hey, most of you probably that are listening to this are not that well-versed in all of this stuff. Franklin Graham holds a pretty big sway in evangelical Protestant America. Uh, I'm not going to lie about that. Uh, mainly, it's because he's been hanging out on the coattails of his dad that was an icon of evangelical America. And he's kind of just parlayed that into a job and then further parlayed that into some sort of a mouthpiece where he's able to continue to have a larger and larger and larger platform to continue to push out his hate and bigotry. Because for many of you, that maybe have grown up outside the church or are not going to church now, would just assume that that is what mainline Christianity looks like today. Uh, one of the main reasons that I've even done the show, started the show, is to actually push back against that kind of status quo idea of what American Christianity is supposed to look like. It is supposed to look like none of the things that I have talked about so far. It is not supposed to be a hateful a tribalistic, a wall-building type of a mission and a faith. Um, it is one that is very inclusive. It is one that tells you to love and to care for those who are not like you. It tells you to care for those who are aliens in your midst. It is one that calls us to love our enemies. And that one line from Jesus where he calls us to love our enemies is my biggest point of pushback to Franklin Graham uh, because he does what he does in the name of Jesus. But what he does looks nothing like Jesus. It looks like an old man who is afraid of the fact that technology and the world is changing and progressing. Um, it looks like a person who is probably well-steeped, and I'm not calling out all of you baby boomers, but I know a fair amount of you that are, that are there clinging to a past that actually never existed. Like, we're looking at life in hindsight and being able to say, it, it used to be like this. I'm totally sure it did. 
Because, again, when you talk to people that want to harken back to the good old days of America, they talk about the 40s and 50s and, like, eh, maybe the 60s. Um, if you were a minority and if you were <laughs> also a female and in culture during that time, yeah, that really wasn't much of a heyday for you. And and I think this just goes back to the old white dudes wanting to get back in power to, again, assert that power and push their agendas and their ways on the people in America. Now, I understand on some level, if you cannot already tell from my voice, I'm a white dude and I'm sitting here raging against the other white dudes. So take that for what it's worth with a grain of salt, but I just want to end up calling BS on all of this, especially when it comes to Christianity, especially when it comes to Donald Trump, especially when it comes to Franklin Gamer, especially, especially, especially when it comes to talking about Vladimir Putin and the fact that many conservative Republicans are somehow getting a hard-on over Putin, and that in itself is absolute insanity and absolute heresy like what putin stands for has nothing to do with the jesus or the god of the bible and for people to praise him and to champion him and to get weird man crushes on him is absolutely ridiculous it is insanity and it has nothing to do with christianity even though all of these dudes that are claiming this would tell you it has everything to do with Christianity. And even furthermore, when you want to talk about Franklin Graham, a dude that really honestly should get his head out of Donald Trump's ass and, and actually just get, I mean, honestly, if he went back to work right now and just worked on Samaritan's Purse, just worked on giving aid to areas in the world that need help, I would totally be fine for that. And guess what? If he did that, I would totally mention that here on the show. And I would actually say, hey, dude, I, you guys out there, I am totally wrong. Uh, Franklin Graham surprised me, and he did this amazing thing. But we're not at that point. But we're not at the point where I can say anything like that, and we're actually miles and miles and miles and probably light years away from that. Because if you continue to look down Franklin Graham's Twitter feed, um, he has defended the fact that Trump says that there was no Russian interference in the elections, and he blames that on Hollywood and the fake media. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? Yeah, it sounds like the orange toddler that is the commander-in-chief um, in office. Yes, yes. And again, he continues to talk about this. And he has even tweeted out pictures of himself. Yes, Franklin Graham shaking hands with Vladimir Putin. A scoundrel, a murderer. And an all-around dude that you would not want to invite to your cocktail party. Because no one wants to keep having the drink tester test every drink that you have. Because you know that you have... I mean, it's seriously... It's, it's almost like saying this... Like, that's almost like Franklin Graham aligning himself with Bill Cosby because back in the day, Bill Cosby had a show that had great family values. It's no different than that. It is There is zero difference between those two things. It is well known that, that Putin is a tyrant and a butcher and has had a hand at inciting violence in Syria and this dude, Franklin Graham, that runs a humanitarian nonprofit, 
is there shaking hands with Vladimir Putin, praises Vladimir Putin, that if any of you out there have seen the pictures of, like, uh, uh, gosh, of, of when Assad had dumped chemical weapons onto his own people, guess what? Putin has been supporting Assad through all of this. This is insanity as much as it gets. And I know you're tired of hearing me rage against this, so I'll pivot and move a little bit further on this. But seriously, a major evangelistic leader shaking hands, meeting with Putin, praising Putin, talking about how we need to be praying for Putin, yet that is crazy in itself. But you see what's happening here? The wheels are falling off on evangelical Christianity. And it's not because of Jesus. And it's not even, and I know I say this hard, it's not even because of religion. This is because this has become a power game with people in America. Uh, religion and politics, if you want to look at both of them, they're very, very similar. They have both uh, moved forward to grab power in, the, in, in very, very similar ways. They have, they have become these bizarre, strange bedfellows that have nothing to do with Jesus, that have nothing to do with the Bible. They are so off book. They are so off script. The fact that they even still call themselves Christians is so ridiculously deceptive. It is downright insidious and deceptive that they call themselves Christians. And I've talked about this on other shows before where I've essentially said, we just need to come up with our own word. We need to come up with a new word that doesn't have that tainted baggage that it does. But guess what? When most Americans think about Christians and they think about church and they think about all of this, what do you think about? Well, you think about the building with a steeple down the road. Oh, you think about that time you went into a church and they sounded bigoted. Oh, you think about that time that these uh, evangelical leaders aligned with a crazy person in office. Oh, yeah. And what we do when we hear all those things, we assume, we make these grand assumptions. Oh, yeah. So that's essentially like Jesus-y, right? That's like kind of what's in the Bible, right? That's kind of Orthodox Christianity, right? Isn't that right? And what I'm here to say is that there's nothing right with the right, especially when it comes to faith. Now, I will tell you this. I would be preaching a very different message if, if, if the right, if we're talking about the political right, completely stopped their God talk, completely stopped their Christian talk, completely stopped pandering to those quasi-believers that are out there in the country. I would totally be fine with that. I'd say, hey, you guys just go be political and you play your own dirty games and just continue to dirty yourself and wallow in your own swampness. Uh, because, yes, I know Trump said he's draining the swamp. He's just kind of filled it and made it bigger. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how to kind of contextualize or articulate or think through any of that. But what I'm just saying is if politics got back to being politics and religion got back to being religion, that would be easy. But that, again, for me, is pie in the sky thinking it's me just kind of being ideological. And I know me being ideological is not really helpful in the real world. Uh, but what I get back to that is this, is that that a lot, a majority of Christianity has been hijacked by the religious right, their ideology, their crackpot thinking, their grabs for power, their hunger for money, and their desire for prestige. Yet that is what has hijacked Christianity. And I will say this too, 
that Christianity always makes the most sense when it is living on the margins of society. When you see Christianity partnered up with the power brokers in any culture, in any society, whether it's Rome, whether it's England, whether it's the United States right now, everything is corrupt. Everything is corrupt, and the only thing that we can con connect to authentic Christianity, to whatever this weird thing is that we have right now, is just simply the name and the words that we use. And that is what burns me and keeps bringing me back every day here, every week here on Snarky Faith. And so this comes from uh, this next article, which is going to kind of put a bow on what we've been talking about. Um, it comes from churchinstate.org.uk. Um, and this is an article written by Timothy Rommel called, Has Evangelical Christianity Become Sociopathic? Has Evangelical Christianity Become Sociopathic? And I want to walk through this and begin to hopefully open up some people's eyes to how far off the mark we have gone. I mean, we are off the reservation. We, like, like whatever map that we're following, we somehow, like, you know, south is north and north is south right now because that's where we're at with American Christianity. But seriously, as we get into this, I mean, think about this. I know I've raged about this for a while, but this is something that, that just drives me bonkers. I mean, with you have someone like Franklin Graham praising Vladimir Putin, it's almost like being able to quote Jesus saying, uh, he who hath sinned cast as many stones as you feel like you need to to keep your own worldview the way that you prefer it to. Like, wherever Franklin Graham is reading this nonsense, it's kind of from the OT, not the Old Testament, but the other testament, some other testament that he has come up with that somehow gives him his little Christian bread chubby every week. I mean, this is ridiculous for him to support. I'm sorry, Putin. Yes, you've heard me say this enough. So, so we're going to go through this article by, by Tim Rommel. And so the article starts off like this. And I'll just quote like the opening paragraph of this. Since evangelical Christianity began infiltrating politics officially in the late 1970s, uh, there has been a disturbing trend to limit or remove rights from those who don't meet the conservative idea of an American. And many of these initiatives come in the form of quote-unquote religious freedom laws which empower discrimination, while other legislation targets, uh, targets immigrants who believe differently. And the result has been a sharp division in American culture and the redefinition of Christian ideology. Now, I know, I know, I know. I know I complain about people going to church to hear what they want to hear and saying an amen. But did the dude not hit the nail on the head with that opening statement? Yes. And he just goes on to just begin to move down through this about how... Christianity um, is is lining itself up uh, with sociopathic tendencies. I'll, 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 I'll move further down to be able to quote him. And he says this. He says, Psych uh, Psychology Today listed 16 characteristics of psychopathic, I'm sorry, sociopathic behaviors, which include untruthfulness and insincerity, superficial charm and good intelligence, lack of remorse or shame, poor judgment and failure to learn by experience, pathological egocentricity and incapability for love, unresponsiveness in general, 
Um, in general, in interpersonal relationships, specific loss of insight and a general poverty in major effective reactions. In other words, appropriate emotional responses. So we begin to talk about how Christianity has become sociopathic and I just feel like I'm sitting down here going, check, 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 check. And when you begin again to circle back to Franklin Graham, when he begins to state things, he says things like this, that immigration is not a biblical issue. It is not a Bible issue. It's ridiculous. You look through the Old Testament, and, and there, is, there is a strong, a very strong call to love the foreigners amongst you because you, O oh Israel, were strangers. You were foreigners in these areas. You begin to see this where we see Jesus, who was a refugee. And how, how, how can American Christianity call out this, saying things like what Franklin Graham is saying. This is a sickness where they begin to say ideas like this, that immigration is not a biblical issue. Now, I can say this. Uh, is immigration a political issue? Sure it is. Um, I'm not saying where I am on either side of that issue, but that is a political issue. Now, if you want to make immigration a political, I, I'm sorry, a biblical issue, you know what you need to do? You got to support the immigrant. You gotta go into those areas and help those people that are in need and that are suffering and that are living in terror of being deported right now here in this country. Yeah. Central to Christianity is this immigration issue. And I'm using my air quotes because that's how they would refer to this. This is a people issue. These are not just blanket immigrants or undocumented, you know, or whatever wor word you want to use. I mean, I think the word I would rather use, which is a word I started pushing on people when they began to talk about, this is, this is years ago within Christianity, when I would talk in organizations and stuff, they were talking about, well, there's the Christians and the non-Christians. And I would say, well, I mean, probably the better way to look at everybody else, instead of calling them non-Christians, which is a very tribal, I've drawn my line in the sand, and you apparently are not part of the chosen ones, would be to say, if that is your goal in life, to convert everybody, you need to see everybody else as pre-Christians. And I think that we need to use that same terminology here in America. When we begin to talk about, we would call people undocumented people or illegal immigrants or all of these other hateful words that we use to describe a large swath of people. Because that is a problem in itself. When we begin to use broad terms to describe individual people that have stories and histories that live in this country. Because what you are doing, when you use terms like that, what you are doing is you are stripping their humanity. And you are putting them in a basket. And to coin many conservatives, you would probably call them a basket of deplorables. Um, I would not, but I'm using that very pithy in how I'm saying that. No, when we begin to steal the individuality and the humanity of these people and their stories, this is not a political issue because politics will be what politics is. But when you begin to say this is not a faith issue, you are so wrong. You are so far from right 
you have no idea where you are moving anymore. Because what I'm asking for here as an amen is that those that live in our country, whether they be undocumented or illegally or whatever you want to call them, you call yourself a Christian. You're actually called to go and help them. You were called to go and help them because they are the foreigner in your midst. They are the marginalized in your midst. And when you turn a blind eye to them, you are not standing with Jesus anymore. And so moving, th- moving again through this article even further, um, you begin to see this, and you begin to see, and again, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to pin all of this, that, that somehow Donald Trump is the end of conservative uh, Republican values. Because again, this is a dude that's on wife number three. Um, this is a guy who's had you know children with tons of people. This is a guy that was really a Democrat up until he needed to not be a Democrat. You know, so let's not even talk about this in the political spectrum. I just want to talk about this from a faith spectrum of why, of why everybody went part and parcel with this dude to move forward because. It has nothing to do with Christianity, even though, even though we will continue to call ourselves and champions ourselves as Christians, especially in the limelight, especially when it comes to book deals or speaking gigs or anything else, kind of in that matter, where it continues to push your brand forward. So later in the article, he says this. So, uh, and this is another quote. So Pastor... Uh, Roger Jimenez of uh, Verity Baptist Church in Sacramento said after the Orlando, Florida terrorist attack on the gay nightclub, quote unquote, um, the tragedy is that more of them didn't die. The tragedy is I'm kind of upset that that he didn't finish his job. So we hear conservative pastors talking about attacks like this. Talking about this in the most vile and hateful way, and I would go as far to say evil way as possible. Because again, we're referring back to Pastor Jimenez. Think about this. If you're going to be a person that claims the Bible, then you're going to claim this part of the Bible that everyone is made in the image of God. And somebody is saying, that they're kind of upset that the guy shooting in Orlando didn't finish the job. The pastor is saying that. That is sociopathic. I mean, it is, it is, it is just outright insanity, but it's also callous and it is hateful. And again, like I've said so many times over today, it has nothing to do with this movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. It is shameful. And as as uh, Tim Rummel begins to finish up his article, um, and it's, it's, it's really an interesting one for you to be able to check out. 
but he says this. He says, the evangelical Christian message is loud and clear. They care for no one but themselves. They Their devotion um, is to the version of Christianity that they have created, which calls for ruthless abandonment of immigrants, women, children, and even their own, and anyone who doesn't fall in line with their message. Social injustice, which is mentioned in the Bible, in Bible verses over 2,000 times, has been replaced with hard-line political ideology, principle over people, indifference over involvement, judgment over generosity. And he finishes his article with this. He says this. Every generation redefines what it means to be or belong to a religious group. Religious ideologies, interpretations, and doctrines are fluid. But whatever it is, or whatever it becomes, is made by the people who belong to the religion and what they collectively decide to make it. And him saying that is very truthful on one layer, but also it's very heartbreaking on another layer. that religious ideologies, interpretations, and doctrines are fluid. And whatever it is, or whatever it becomes, is made by the people who belong to the religion and what they collectively decide to make it. I mean, that is truth. And that is the nature of any kind of human institution. So I, I, I don't want to completely sound self-righteous. <laughs> Many of you may have said, but you've sounded self-righteous for the past hour. Why stop now? But I, but I mean this in a very kind of brick and mortar, kind of very like just dirt on the floor kind of a way of looking at things where we really just get down to the base layer of stuff. And like my hope for Christianity would be the fact that it would have some sort of a historical continuity to it. And it wouldn't simply just be made by the people who belong to religion and what they collectively decide to make it. I would hope, in the depths of my heart, I would hope that God has something to do with this. Because the entire time I've talked for this last hour, we have talked about scripture, we have talked about politics, we have talked about policy, we have talked about doctrine, we have talked about beliefs. We actually haven't talked about like the heart of God in the midst of this. And I know I've talked about Jesus here and there and, and, and in the mix of this conversation, but if we view Christianity as an institution or a system of ideology that has nothing to do with God who is awake and active in the world around us, the entire thing is doomed. And actually, furthermore, the entire thing is a damned sham. And it's not worth following if that's what it's become. Now, what I would offer is that this is one stream that has kind of been an offshoot, an aberration of what it should be. And that probably if you go continuing back historically, if you're looking at historical Christianity, and especially when Constantine made it the official religion of Rome, meaning that if you were a Roman citizen, it was the same thing as being called a Christian. 
which sounds a lot like how people like to ideologically view the way our country was founded and how we are as a people. We are a Christian nation. We were founded on Christian principles. Look at it. In God we trust is on our money, even though it was put there in the 1950s. Um, so we have this kind of revisionist history that we like to do. But I am going to go back to saying this. Christianity that is obsessed with power, a Christianity that is obsessed with politics, and a Christianity that is obsessed with self-aggrandization is really not Christianity anymore. I mean, if, if it simply becomes about somebody forwarding their own purpose and their own movement and their own agenda and their own brand or whatever else about this, then it's become this dude's Christianity. It's not like Jesus' Christianity. It's, it has nothing to do with that. Because the sad fact of this is, if you were to take the religious right and inject a bunch of Jesus, I think it would no longer be the religious right anymore. I mean, growing up in the South, I've seen hatred in the name of Jesus. I've seen bigotry in the name of Jesus. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen judgment in the name of Jesus. I've seen people cast out of churches in the name of Jesus. Hell, I've been cast out of churches in the name of Jesus. And people are using his name, but I just really think it's some guy that you don't want to quote because he's probably illegal and his name is Jesus. No, because we like to view Jesus as some sort of a white savior that never existed. He was a Middle Eastern Jew that cared deeply about people's needs. And if Christianity really cares deeply about people's needs, it needs to go back to the ways and the teachings of Jesus and adhere to those and those alone. You know, when I hear people talking about the red letters in the Bible, and if you don't know what that means, it's generally when they would have the words of God, the words of Jesus, they would put those letters in red. And I would call people back to going back to reading the red letters and seeing how that can change evangelical Christianity. But I think that's too much to ask. But I don't want to leave you guys hopeless because I always think there's hope. I always think there's another way. And I think the other way is to abandon these power brokers of Christianity and just call them out for what they are. They are they're heretics. They are money-hungry, they're power-hungry, and they are really just sociopathically all about themselves, and they have really cast away the, their Lord and Savior long ago. So if you want to make a difference, follow the words of Jesus, implement them into your community, and see how your life changes. That's all I've got this hour. This is Stuart Snarky Faith. Thank you so much for listening to us. If you feel generous, go ahead and head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating because that keeps us at the tops of the charts so other people can find us and hear our messages and hear our conversations. Um, also, if you want to be able to follow what we're doing, uh, you can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Just look up Snarky Faith. Or uh, if you want to take it a step further, www.snarkyfaith.com. As we end these broadcasts, you can always catch our old shows on podcasts over there. And if you sign up, we're starting uh, to implement this thing where we're going to do live shows where we allow people that have subscribed to us to be a part of. That's all I got this hour, and I thank you for hanging with me. I thank you for being a part of this, and I will catch you again next week. I'm out of here.
WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Aqueduct Conference Center was established in 1978 as a peaceful destination for small group meetings, special events, conferences, retreats, and weddings. For more information, go to www.aqueductcc.com. We are also sponsored by Lumen. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be better than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com. Thank you.